Vatical's awesome. I highly recommend it. It's great. So uh, thank you, Nicole. It's wonderful to see you all. And, uh, and a sincere thank you to everybody who, um, who covered and the hosting and the preaching and the volunteers and the South Lead team. Uh, we just re- I really, really appreciate it. And I, I'm not going to spend this morning telling you all about the sabbatical. I'm sure it will come out over the next few weeks. But if, this is, uh, if you don't know who I am and you're and you've started to come up to the south over the summer, then uh, stoked that you're here. Uh, my name's Glenn, and uh, yeah, I've just, been, uh, I've just been not doing very much for three months, and it was brilliant. Loved it. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting into the Word. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians in just a second. You can, you can head there now if you would like, and, uh, and we're going to jump into a couple of scriptures. Uh, but before we do that, I would love to pray. And, uh, and uh, just turn our hearts and our attention to the Lord. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Lord, we have just declared, Lord, to praise your name, to lift you up. Lord, we've just sung the gospel. Lord, the good news, everything that you did on the cross. And Lord, I thank you that we can stand here, we can sit here as children of God with our attention upon you. Lord, that we can lift you up knowing that we are accepted, that, Lord, that you lean in and don't lean away, that, Lord, that there is no longer separation because of our sin, but, Lord, that you love us and you care for us and you want to continue to teach us and change us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, that my words, that somehow, God, you will use them to change hearts, to lift spirits, to empower. And, Lord, I pray for changed lives this morning. Lord, for those in the room who don't know you, not just know about you, but truly know you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they too will come to know you, a living God, this morning. We ask these things, Lord, in your precious and good name. We love you. Amen. 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 Uh, One of the things that uh, I enjoyed doing over over my sabbatical is uh, a a lot of reading. I I tend to read a lot anyway, um, and I, I read a lot like uh, people watch TV, I kind of surf between channels. I, I, I have four or five books generally on the go, um, and so because I enjoy reading biographies or enjoy reading uh, how to do stuff or enjoy reading about, uh, I, I, I even enjoy reading about economics and stuff. It's a bit weird. Sarah thinks that's really odd. Um, but, uh, and so what I really wanted to do over the summer was not just look at how to do church because uh, Wendy was aghast that I actually said, I have no plans, I have no strategy, I've not come back with the latest, greatest uh, thing, this is what we're going to do. I, I, I purposely avoided all of that. Um, it took me probably two hours to switch off from church um, because I was so confident in the team that we have here, uh, whether it be the art project that looks amazing and uh, I've done a wonderful job at that and excited to see that it's expanding and Nicole and Luke and Sarah and the leadership team and the welcome team I, and Leeshan and her team. I just knew that the church was going to be fine. Um, but what something interesting did happen about week five, I went for a walk with Phil. And I'm just going to be really, really honest with you and, and, uh, because I think I might have mentioned it to a couple of you over the summer. By week five, I'm thinking, I, I, this is too good. I don't know whether I want to go back. I'm just going to be honest with you because like, being off work is like, wow, this is... This is amazing. How could I make this happen? Of course, it would, there was no way that I was going to be able to make it happen. But those thoughts started going through my mind. This is really great. 
And Phil said, and, and, uh, and, and I'm, so I guess I'm being transparent on his behalf to you, he said, oh, I went through exactly the same thing around week five in his sabbatical. He's like, this is great. I think I'll just stay off work for the rest of my life. By week six, the Lord had started really speaking to me. And he started speaking to me because, thankfully, I was sensitive enough to hear him speak to me about reading biographies. Uh, and not just kind of periphery stories, but jumping into some of the biographies that have been written about men and women in our, in our church history that had amazing uh, faith and belief. And, uh, and I started by reading a biography by, uh, about Martin Lloyd-Jones. How many of you have heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? Okay, if I'd asked that in Britain, probably every hand would have gone up. Martin Lloyd-Jones was uh, from the uh, early 1900s. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant uh, young man. He came from a very poor background in Wales, and, uh, and then he, he got into medical school, and he was on Harley Street. And those of you who don't know what Harley Street is, Harley Street is as, probably as high as you go in private medicine, uh, arguably in the world. Um, and so he was in his late 20s, and he was dedicated to medicine. He loved medicine. He was starting to, uh, uh, to treat people in the upper, as they would say at that time, the upper echelon of society. Dukes, duchesses, kings, queens. Those were his patients. He was a very sincere Christian. And, uh, and he loved Jesus very much. He loved the gospel very much. And in his late 20s, he started to sense a call. He hadn't actually really preached at that point. But he wrestled with this call. And I'm not going to, I encourage you to read his story. It's a phenomenal story, but it's cut a very long story, very thick book, short. Uh, he listened to that call, left his Harley Street practice, and started to pastor a very small church in South Wales, in Port Talbot. Now, if you compare London, Harley Street to Port Talbot, there's some significant difference, even just monetary wise. The average, uh, the salary that he started on in Port Talbot was £280 a year. Uh, he gave away all his money to his mum, of which there was many thousands and thousands of pounds that he'd saved up in the bank. He gave it to his mum because he wanted to completely rely on the Lord. Here's what was really interesting that struck me in week six of my sabbatical. What Martin Lloyd-Jones did was the absolute opposite of what many, many pastors do today. Do you realize that less than 10% of pastors actually retire as pastors? What that means is that at some point before retirement age, they leave the ministry and go and get a different job. He did the opposite. What he did is he left a remarkably successful career in order to become a pastor because he had such a high view of what ministry was about, and what preaching the word, what a privilege it was. And that was the first godly slap that God gave me. He said, Glenn, this is a privilege. This is a privilege. And I genuinely wept before the Lord and I asked his forgiveness that I had treated the ministry in a light-hearted way. That I had looked at what I get to do every week in, in, and, and I'm, and I'm confessed. For those of you who don't know me, <laughs> you're like, wow, we're really getting into it really quick. I haven't got a lot of time. But that was, and I need to confess that to you. I have been, oftentimes I treated it in a light-hearted way, in a frustrated way. Now I'm not saying there won't be days when I go, Lord, Why? <laughs> because pastoring, I've, I've only been a full-time pastor for the last eight years. So I, I've been, I've had a proper job, as it were. And there's nothing like pastoring. It's hard. 
It's difficult. It's frustrating. It's challenging. And yet, Martin Lloyd-Jones, through his writing, reminded me what a privilege it was. What a privilege. The other thing that I... I, um, So I guess I want to say thank you for being patient with me. (laughs) Um, But I've had a, a, a beautiful revelation of the honor and the joy to be able to be a pastor and to preach the gospel week in, week out. So thank you for that. Um, the second thing that really hit me, and this is where my train of thought is going for this, this morning, is that a hundred years ago in Port Talbot, it was like reading 2019 Kelowna. It really was. The, the, the town that Martin Lloyd-Jones got uh, called to was actually eventually became a very, uh, very busy ironworking, and there was mines around the area. It was a very, very busy place. And it had exactly, and please hear me, and, and, and if you read it, you'll see, I, I'm, I'm very sincere in this. It was just like reading Kelowna 2019, Port Talbot 2025, 2020, uh, sorry, 1925, 1926, 100 years ago, roughly. It's the same issues, exactly the same issues. The same materialistic chase, the same issues with debt, the same issues with addiction, abuse, Sexual immorality, sexual confusion, same issues, same world disorder, same secret lives, same world instability, the same greed, the same racism, the same uh, uh, um, uh, slavery. It, honestly, it was like reading. I'm like, this is exactly the same. Now, what is different now to what was then is that we've just got more creative in how to express that, how to project what isn't really going on? We just want to project that. We got more creative in doing that, whereas at that time they didn't have social media and the internet everything. They were still projecting a false self to the world so to try and hide what was actually going on behind the closed doors of Paul Talbot. Exactly the same as Kettle Valley, the Mission, Rutland, Glenmore, West Kelowna, Black Mountain, wherever else is that you come from. Exactly the same. Exactly the same issues. What was also interesting is I read different biographies, so I'm talking Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s, George Whitfield uh, from a similar time, Wesley, um, uh, Spurgeon just, just finished a, a new biography on Spurgeon, which is wonderful. You look at these different times and you go further back to the Puritans and then you go further back to the medieval times and you keep going back and you keep going back. It is just as Lamentations Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's exactly the same. We've just got more creative in our sin. That, that's the only difference. And the other thing that's really interesting in reading these biographies, uh, which I guess was the third thing that I noticed, was the complete spiritual disdain. The disdain and cynicism people had towards church and established religion. And I've talked about this a lot. We get this chronological snobbery where we think we're the first to come up with stuff. It's exactly the same 100 years ago, 200, 500, 1,000 years ago. Where people give a shrug to all the things that we hold dear. So how did I find this encouraging? <laughs> you know, how is this like, wow, Glenn, this really, this really changed my life. What was encouraging It's that God moved. God moved powerfully year in, year out in the middle of this disdain towards church and spirituality in the middle of the challenges that society faced at that time. He moved. He moved. He changed lives. He changed lives despite often in these dark times that the the gospel light came into these dark communities, these dark countries. I'm talking about whole countries being changed 
So please don't, don't, and I say this lovingly, but don't think, oh, well, people were different then. They weren't. Arguably, it was worse in some places and in some ways. Horrible, horrible lives being lived. And it's bad in, in Kelowna, I'll give you that. It's bad in our world. It's, it's bad. But God still moved. There was a, a light shining into the darkness that brought a closeness to God. That people were filled with Him and empowered and encouraged by Him. That futures were changed by Him. New identities came through. New futures, new purpose, new mission shone through. Even though these societies and these cities and these neighborhoods and these streets were so dark and so fake, He still moves. And we see commonality even today. Do you realize that some of the greatest revivals and lives being changed are are happening in places like Africa and and India. Thousands, tens of thousands of people becoming Christians. Now, this isn't just a, oh, I'm going to add Christianity to my life. This is actually uh, people becoming Christians even know that their families would reject them and have nothing to do with them at best and try and kill them at worst. So people, by the tens of thousands every day, coming to know Jesus in Africa and India. China is mayhem for Jesus right now. And the Chinese government are desperately trying to push it down. And the more it pushes it down, the more it springs up and gets more powerful. The more they deny Jesus, the more Jesus shines. I love that. It's exactly the same a hundred years ago, two, five, a thousand years ago as it is today in other countries. And there's a commonality. There's a commonality from a hundred years ago to now. There's a commonality in these countries. And so I started praying and researching and and looking at at what the commonality was. What is the key? How do we see that in our church, in our day? Not some fanciful, oh, I hope this might happen one day, maybe, if we can figure things out. How do we actually mobilize ourselves as a church in the mission... I'm going to say something, some people might argue with this, but I think if we reflect on it for a minute, you'll know that I'm speaking the truth. I genuinely believe that the mission area is one of the most depraved areas in Kelowna. 100%. Now, what we do is we start comparing it to other places, especially Rutland. Well, let's get off our missional, mission high horse for a second, because trust me, those of you who've done some traveling, regardless of what people say, Rutland is not a ghetto. Have you heard that? I'm like, have you been to a ghetto? It isn't like that. It really isn't like that. But I genuinely believe that mission is a depraved area that is in desperate need of change. Broken lives. Do you realize that there's kids being sold? And you go, oh, come on. I'm absolutely serious. In our city, right now, there is trafficking going on with young girls. What is going to bring that change? What, what is going to bring change to that? Oh, I know, let's change the government. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll do it. Or maybe we should uh, become less, uh, less judgmental. Yeah, no, that's not going to do it either. What is actually going to bring societal change in a way that we see in other parts of the world, in our city? That is a massive question. Because Christian friends, let me tell you with absolute certainty, the number one reason that you woke up this morning, the 
only reason that God in his grace allowed you to wake up this morning is for one reason and one reason only. Christian friends, this isn't including your view if you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you woke up this morning for one reason, it's to be on mission for him. That's the only reason. Point at anything in your life, anything, the only reason that you have that is to make much of Jesus. Your job, your bank account, your kids, the school that you get to drop them off to, your church, your car, your holidays, the way you look, everything is given to you by the grace of God, and he can take it away, but given to you for one end, and it's to make much of him and to be on mission. That's the only reason that we're alive today. The only reason. Now, we can use all those things beautifully and creatively, but that is, those things weren't given to us in order for them to terminate on us. They were given to us so that we could make much of Jesus when we go into those places and speak of him. So how do we see? What is the key? So in my regular reading, as I'm just going through the Bible as my part of my Bible reading plan, the Lord was so gracious and he showed me some scriptures and I started dawning on me as I'm reflecting on the biographies and I started reading 1 Corinthians, I started seeing something really cool. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Christian friends, please, please, please bring your Bibles, journals, and I know some of you love to journal and scribble, it's wonderful. Um, let's, let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, let's, let's jump in. So remember the question is, how do we see the kind of change that we see in other parts of the world and we've seen in history? How do we actually see that in a day-to-day basis in Kelowna? Not in some, yeah, right, this, that's never going to happen, but actually how do we see it happen? It's not a method. It's not a strategy. I just want to show you some interesting things from the scripture that we can dwell on and think about. So this is Paul. Paul, uh, for those of you who don't know, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament uh, he was, um, and, and I'm actually reading uh, a biography of Paul right now, a uh, fascinating character, the history of who he was and his culture and how he came to be what Jesus used him to be, but, but an in- incredibly dedicated, zealous and brilliant man. So he said this, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, which remember that. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, let's just stop for a second. Just imagine me getting up on this stage this morning. And you might, you know, you could argue that this is the case. But that I come with weakness, fear, trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom. That would be my sermon. That's what Paul is saying. I wonder how long we would stay in that church before we checked out another church. So Paul is saying, look, I'm not a good preacher. In his, now, who he's comparing himself to, I don't know. But he said, look, I, I don't come with words of wisdom. My message are not even that plausible. So that means people are kind of going, I don't even know if that makes sense. Is that even, what? That, that's what he's saying about his own words. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power... So he said, I didn't come with plausible words, but I came in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So that's Paul's reflection on coming to the foot. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, they were messed up, messed up. And he's like, look, I didn't come with you with great preaching. The key verse in that is this verse. For I 
decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's what Paul is saying here, and here's what really I'm saying for the rest of my message. That's our strategy. That's our plan. It doesn't start all with the same letter, and you know that I'm famous for that. Nothing wrong with that. It just seems to come naturally out of me, like, well, let's make everything start with S. That'll be fun. It doesn't come with a fancy diagram, and you know I'm famous for that as well. I make things fancy and pretty. It's who I am. That's why I like the art project. It's wonderful. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, you want to know my plan? Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what I'm about? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that's my plan. So hear what I'm about to say with greatest love and respect. I am not gonna crit- I'm not criticizing these things. I'm just saying that they're not the plan. Okay? I love this. I love this. It's great. But it's not the plan. You see, what we do is we elevate things that have been given to us by the grace of God to make that the plan. See, these things have been given to us to make Jesus Christ and him crucified the plan. The reason we do South Art Project is not so that people can gather together and talk about life stories and and have a nice arty time together. That's not the reason we do it. We do it because Jesus Christ and him crucified is the plan. So everything that Paul did, he pointed towards that. That was his mission statement. That was why he came. And that's what he came with. That was his practical aspect. So he's, remember, he said, I don't come with great words. and I come with power, power based in Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't come with tech. I love tech. I've got tech. It's, I'm preaching from tech. It's a good thing, but that is not the plan. That is not going to change our community. It's not going to change our society. It's not. It's never worked. See, Paul never came with tech. He didn't come with great preaching by his own admission. He didn't come with programs. He didn't come with great um, social media advertising. Nothing wrong with any of those things unless, unless they start becoming the plan. If they start becoming our answer to meeting the needs of our community, then we are starting to worship the created rather than the creator. They are not the plan. Jesus Christ is the plan. Jesus Christ is the plan. So I started realizing this, and some of you will go, well, yeah, but the implications of that are actually huge for a church. Because if we start orienting ourselves towards saying, well, is everything we're doing in line with this, and what I'm about to say over the next few minutes, if it's not, are we willing to stop it? Well, for those of you, by the way, nobody likes change. Those of you who go, yeah, I'm all about change. Yeah, unless the change actually affects us. That I'm like that. I love change, but I, I'm not changing. They, they all need to change. They need to change and do what I think is right, but don't ask me to change, right? That, that, that's generally how it works. But are we actually willing to stop stuff? Are, are we willing to do that, even if we like hold it with a tight fist are we willing to stop it now don't don't worry i have no plans <laughs> before we go oh, here we go I, I, I genuinely have no plans i'm just this is my plan so why is this the plan why didn't he come could god not have made paul a brilliant preacher why 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 is this the plan and and the key i think is actually in the first chapter 
For the word of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we've, asked, we've seen what the plan is. Why is it the plan? Well, it's because of this word. It's not a word we use very often, is it? So I'll set you a challenge. Word of the week. Well, that's absolute folly. I've just come from Cambridge, and that's how they actually talk. Well, that's, that's absolutely wonderful, yes. I'm so academic, and I'm so smart, and so brilliant, I use words like folly. What does it mean? It means thoughtless action resulting in tragic consequences. So let's put those words into this. For the word of the cross is thoughtless action resulting in tragic consequences to those who are perishing. So what that actually means is, is when you go out into the world and say this, Jesus Christ and him crucified is the answer to every need that our society has, people are going to look at you and they're going to think, well, let's get this back. That's thoughtless. And the result of believing that is going to be tragic. That's what our society thinks. They think what we believe is mad. So, God, in his incredible wisdom, has given us an insanely simple plan because the world is so messed up in its wisdom. It it thinks it's folly. So let's start thinking about this logically. If the world thinks this is folly, why would such a simple plan work? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. The second that you say there is a God, you lose well over 500 million Buddhists. They just go, not interested. As soon as you say there is a God, they go, well, we don't believe in a God. We believe in enlightenment. There is no God. We just believe in us. Which, by the way, is where Zen comes from, which, by the way, is where mindfulness comes from. Mindfulness is not some cute practice that we've started to do in our schools because it calms kids down. It's Buddhism. Now, you might go, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're just a crazy preacher. Look into it. Check it out. So you lose over 500 million people in the world the second you say there is a God. The second you say there is one God, you lose 1.5 billion Sikhs and Hindus. Do you notice it's impossible to say billion? You have to go billion. You have to accentuate the B. I thought about that when I said it. 1.45 billion Hindus and Sikhs switch off as soon as you say there's one God. As soon as you say that God became a man, you lose 1.6, I think it is, billion Muslims. As soon as you say Jesus Christ is king and in control and you're not, you lose most of the Western world. Because I am king and I am in charge and I am in control because I can do whatever I set my mind to. So don't tell me that Jesus Christ is king, he's in control and I need to submit to him. So you lose the Western world. It's folly. It's folly. So that's why, that's why cool tech doesn't cut it. I went to see Ed Sheeran last year. Unbelievable. Like, one ginger-haired kid comes out in the middle of the stage with a small guitar and blows my mind. How many of you saw Ed Sheeran? So you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have seen U2? Muse. You know, how many of you have been to a really big concert and you go, 
Right. So the world is really good at that stuff. And the church is not as good as that. But what we try and do is catch up, believing that somehow that is the answer. And it was the same in Martin Lloyd-Jones' time. They were trying to change work, the church in order to entice people in. But the reality is, is the world's really good at all the tech stuff, so it would make no sense to use tech in order to bring them in because they're going to sit there and go, well, it's not Ed Sheeran. Sorry, love. It's not Ed Sheeran, is it? They're not impressed by it. So God, in his wisdom, decided that the answer was Jesus Christ and him crucified. The day was February 2nd in 1738, and a young George Whitfield, who was 24 years old at the time, set sail for the first time to Georgia. It was a four-month trip because of the sailing ship that he was on. There was actually three ships going in unison, and they stopped at Gibraltar and picked up a load of soldiers. But by the time of it, between the three ships, there was roughly 500 people on these ships. And George Whitfield, as this young guy, became incredibly conscious of how depraved and awful uh, the, the, the kind of community and the sense was on the ships. There was terrible abuse, there was swearing, there was all sorts of... And it was just... Because you're talking sailors and soldiers, Okay? And he became very conscious of this, and it broke his heart. So within a couple of days, what he started to do was going around different people and started helping them, serving them in any way that he could to show them Jesus Christ and him crucified. And said, in fact, in, his, in, his one, of, in his, one of his letters, he said this, I have decided to know nothing among them but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his plan. And so that caused him to start serving and being kind to people and loving people. And from that, he started praying by himself on the deck of one of the ships. He would invite people to come, but oftentimes he was by himself. But within a few days, he decided he was going to start a church, or he was, in fact, basically going to start a Bible class. He didn't know that anybody was coming, but he knew one person was going to come, and that was him. So he sat on the deck, and he was joined by six soldiers, and he started expounding uh, the Lord's Prayer. There was no lights and lasers, and gosh, no social media. I don't even know how he managed And he sat there and he opened the scriptures and he started reading and sharing what the Lord's Prayer was. And then he started a ladies' Bible study. Then he started an elementary school. This is all while he's sailing to Georgia. Do you see how starting with this breeds creativity? So now he's got an elementary school, he's got a ladies' Bible study, he's got a Bible class on deck, and then he asked permission from the captain whether he could have church. And the captain saw the change in people's lives and said yes. So they put... Uh, They set out a church on the deck of the ships. By the time that they got to Georgia, uh, each day, every day, the three ships would come together. And George Whitfield would stand in the middle and preach the gospel to these three ships. Revival on those three ships as it's sailing across the Atlantic. I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. God has designed our lives in a specific way. He's designed our lives in a specific way. So I'm going to give you, and I'm going to do it quick, I'm going to give you a couple of points that I want to encourage you with and, 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 and push you towards where I'm believing that God wants us to be as a church. 
Because God has designed us in a specific way so that our lives would actually show this, I have decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The first thing is that as you read Acts and you see the move of God, you'll see something fascinating developing. And we're going to go really quick. So, first one is that God delights to use regular people. God's plan was not to do church just with a preacher and worship and tech and and everything else. He had a much better plan, a much better plan. In Acts chapter 8, something remarkable happens in the history of the church. Up until Acts chapter 8, all the church was basically in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the people that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, Samaria and Judea. So up to 8, it was all Jerusalem. That's, that's where it was. And then Stephen got stoned, and people were placing their coats at the feet of one called Paul, or Saul, and before he changed his name. So the same Paul that we've just been reading about. And so that's at the end of Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 8, something fascinating happens, and it's summed up in the verse, first verse. It says, There arose on that day a great persecution. So Stephen gets stoned, and then a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem came about. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. This verse, when I read it, blew my mind. Because of three words. Three words. Freaked me out. I got so excited, and I've been thinking about preaching this for the whole of the summer, or up until halfway through my, my uh, sabbatical. Except the apostles. Except the apostles. Who was it who changed the world? There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. They, they, not them, they. Look at Acts chapter 11. Now, those, it's the same they who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Antioch was the greatest missionary-sending church at that time. Arguably, in the whole of church history, sent more missionaries out of the world from Antioch. And who was it? who started the church. They had not been to seminary. They, were not, they got a missionary society. They weren't ordained. They didn't even have the New Testament at that point. It was those that were scattered. They don't even have a name. And so that tells me that God delights to use and change society and change cities and change countries using regular people like you and me. My job is really clear, Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the saints for ministry. And so if there's any part of you that's going, okay, let's see what Glenn's going to do, you're not reading the scriptures because it's all about what you and I are going to do. You see, your number one reason you woke up this morning was to be on mission because you are those This is you. This is me. We can do this, South, if we decide to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So if we just start doing more programs and more activities and more, that's not the plan. The plan is, is to jump into the gospel so deeply that we speak about it, we pray about it, we worship about it, we're motivated by it. 
that we're running to church on Sunday morning because we want to learn more about it. And if there's an aspect of us that go, should we bother today? Then you're not understanding that this is the mission we've been called on. We come to church on a Sunday morning to get empowered and filled up and encouraged to share stories, to worship Jesus so we can go and kick the Satan in his teeth in the community. That's what we've been called to do. We're the those. It's not me and Glenn who was scattered. I feel scattered sometimes, but that's you. God delights to use regular people. And when I read that, I got so excited because for any of us that are sat back waiting for something, the day is now. These are your days. And I'm going to guess that when we get to the end of our lives, Christian friends, we are not going to regret praying. We're not going to regret sharing the gospel with our neighbors. We are not going to regret spending our life and burning out, if need be, sharing the gospel to our city. We're not going to regret that. I have a sense that I'm going to regret it if my focus is on just the next car, the next house, or my business. Or even my kids, God bless them. That's not why I've been put on this planet. I've been put on this planet to be those. And notice, it says persecution, because the second you decide to do that, buckle up. Because it's folly, remember? People will despise you. Quite the promise. It's quite the promise. We didn't even know their names. <laughs> this gets better. Not many of you, Paul says, were that wise. Well, thanks, Paul. According to worldly standards, that's code for bit thick, as we'd say in Britain. Thanks, Paul. You're an encouraging preacher. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That's it. Basically, you not much at all really he might as well have carried on just said you weren't much to look at either because that's what noble birth basically means well I wouldn't be taking many selfies if I was you but God chose what is foolish that's me village idiot love it in the world to shame the wise God chose I'm chosen by God God's plan for the South, the mission is us. We've been chosen. I get excited about that. Chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised. Like Paul, can, you, can we turn a corner? Can you tell me how great I am? Do you notice how contrary this is? Oh, you're just so amazing. You're, you're, you're amazing. You need to love yourself more. You can't find that in the scriptures. Paul's like, you're rubbish, but you're chosen. <laughs> Hashtag. And then, this was my favorite bit, even things that are not. If you think, that, you, if you think any of that is an insult, you're just, you're just not. <laughs> That's quite the kick in the teeth, isn't it? Am I something? No, you're... I, you're just not. I can't even be bothered to put a conjunction before it. The not. You're just not. To bring to th- nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But what we are is empowered. We're empowered. With what? We're empowered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Me in Christ. Christ in me. That's all we need in order to see change in our city. That's all we need. You know the whole of the Bible can be summed up with three words. Where are you? That's a beautiful, simple 
explanation of the God's heart towards mankind that started right at the beginning when Adam and Eve separated from God. The God walks into the garden. By their own choice, they had sin and shame in their life. By their own choice, they distanced themselves from God. They were separated from their sin and this gulf was not possible to, to uh, close down by anything they did and it's exactly the same today. But God came walking through the garden and he said, where are you? And those words prophetically resonate through the whole of the Bible. All his prophets, all the kings, all the judges, constantly God pursuing mankind so that he could close this gap so there could be communion with him, that we could be one with him, empowered with him. And then the climax of the story is the one called Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. By the way, there is teaching right now in the church, and I'll be talking about this in a few weeks, right now in churches that are very popular where Jesus learned to be perfect, that he was not fully God. That is an absolute heresy. You do not learn to be perfect. You will not be perfect until you are with him, the scripture says. We increasingly become more like him, but you cannot live on this planet perfect. And that's teaching in churches of songs that we actually sing. So, where are you is the resonance going through the Bible, climaxing in the life and the death of Jesus Christ given to us so that that gulf could be enclosed. For Christ suffered once for sins and the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am in Christ. Christ is in me, he said. We're empowered. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This word power, it means it's dunamis, it means overshadowing so that when people come into contact with you, they're coming into contact with the living God himself so that when you go into your workplace, the elevator, the coffee shop, the place you hang out, it's Jesus Christ coming in with you. That's who we are. We may not be wise. We are fools. We are not. And yet, we are chosen and we're empowered I am in Christ. That's the promise. I'm forgiven in Christ. I'm accepted in Christ. I'm loved in Christ. I'm worthy in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. My future is secure in Christ. My every day is in Christ. Those are all the promises that come to me through the cross. Is that your promise today, this morning? Because if it's not, then you are not in Christ. And it says fruit will follow you if you are. And then it is, and Christ is in me, that's where the power comes from. That him in me, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We are ordinary, regular people, but we are empowered. Let me bring this to a close. The pure gospel is promise and power combined, and that produces radically changed lives. What we're going to do over the next few weeks, this might take us a long time, but we're going to jump into Galatians. And Galatians is all about promise and power. We're going to learn about the gospel. And I had to confess before the Lord that over the last eight years, I don't feel like I've done a good job in teaching what the gospel actually is and how it affects our lives, and how it impacts our parenting, and how it affects our businesses, how we share it, how we speak it, how we walk it out. Because if this is the answer, then we need to make sure that we're gospel-centered people. So that we, like Paul, could say, I've decided to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Because in the pure gospel, not the gospel plus social justice, not the gospel plus prosperity, not the gospel plus anything else, it's the pure gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's it. In that is promise and power to radically change lives. So they're regular people, they come empowered and they come preaching. I know I'm preaching long, but in the grand scheme of things, we watch movies longer than this. I'm bringing it to a close. We're regular people, empowered by Jesus, on a mission. And I want you to see this. This is so important. Now, those who are scattered, speaking the word, preaching the Lord Jesus. I've said this to you before. There's that famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi. It said, preach the gospel at all times, (coughs) and when necessary, use words. I love that. Because that means I don't have to say anything. I can just emanate Jesus. By not drinking, they're going to just fall on their knees and cry and repent. They'll notice that I'm not swearing. And they will want to know Jesus because I don't swear. They will see that I'm a nice person. And they will want to know that I am a Jesus follower. That is not right, Francis. Sorry. Francis, I hope that I meet him one day and I'll sit down and go, did you actually mean that or did we actually change your quote? Because I have a feeling we changed the quote. Because they went speaking and preaching. At some point we have to open our mouths and go, Jesus Christ and him crucified. We have to learn how to say it. We have to learn how to live it. And we have to learn how to serve through it and believe in it and worship and pray it. We have to do that. Because this verse here, we love this verse. This is fantastic. We receive power, love that. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, yes, and you will be my witnesses. Let's just stop there for a second. That word actually is where we get our word martyr from. People don't get martyred for being nice. They don't get martyred for having coffee and being a good person. They get martyred for opening their mouths and preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why they get martyred, because it's folly. Are we willing to be that person? We live in a society that is so desperate for light to be shone. And cute, nice, cultural Christianity is not going to bring that. It's not. I love everything we do in this church. I love South Art Project. I love the worship. I love, I love these journals. I love it. I love all that. But the second it becomes the thing, we're missing it. Because the thing is me opening my mouth to my neighbors and sharing the gospel. We have to get hold of this South. We have to. We have to learn how to speak it, live it. And it means change. It means that we have to start doing things differently because regular people empowered in Christ, preaching, they're also praying. Every major move of the Holy Spirit in Acts and throughout history has been preceded by His people, called by my name, crying out for forgiveness humbling themselves, praying and seeking his face. And then God himself says, I will heal your land. See, prayer cannot be supplementary to what we do. So a once a month prayer meeting is not going to be enough. We have to learn to grab hold of the throne of God and plead and cry out on behalf of our generation. And that only comes by his people falling in love with the gospel. It's not methodology, it's not plan, it's not strategy, it's Jesus Christ. 
Do you soak in that? In your reading, do you pray and thank and grateful? I'm not so, I saw a thing the other day, of four-minute devotions. Is that going to see a change in culture and city if his people are spending a whole four minutes taking a selfie while they do it? Coffee, journal, Bible. It's just not... I'm not having a go at anybody. I'm just saying we, we have to take this seriously because there are people literally living on your... There are people living on your street going to hell and living it out right now. And some of us don't even know their names. Because we're more concerned about bringing our kids up safe and protected, complete with helmet, preferably, sending them to church, uh, sending them to school in the hope that they will be nice people. Nice people don't change the world. Empowered, chosen, foolish people change the world. I'm going to finish with this. Honest. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I repeated this, I don't know how many times over the summer. I prayed it. And I was like four. And I prayed it through. I, and I prayed it through, decided, and I prayed it through. And then I stopped there. And it hit me. How does this start? How do we become a church where our sole focus is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and we're willing to speak it out into our generation. How does it start? Just with the decision. (laughs) I decided. Just one day. That was it. I decided. I want us to raise up an army. I'm not saying this just to be cliche. Let's raise up an army at the south of people who have decided to know nothing. Know nothing. You can fill that gap in with anything you want. Nothing else is as important as this. Are you willing to generously give sacrifice? Like your time, your finances, your energy, your prayers, your family, your businesses. Are you willing to sacrifice? Lay that before the Lord and say, I have decided to know nothing else among this city other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, what do you want me to do today in the light of that? Who do you want me to speak to? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give? And yes, knowing that we will be persecuted and pulled down and we might end up in papers and all sorts of horrible, foolish, remember, consequences, folly, all that could come upon us. Are we willing? Because I promise you, I promise you, it is on the back of that that God has promised to bring forgiveness and heal our land. So we could leave here today and go, okay, kick off next week and and just get into the rhythm of school life and routine for those of us that that includes business. Start looking to... Halloween has hit Costco. Don't go there. I was like, second Halloween finishes, guess what starts? Christmas. Is Is that what we want to be about? Oh, we're going to decide today. Lord, I don't know what this means, but, but I have a sense that this is truth and this is right. Regular people empowered in Christ, preaching, praying, giving, suffering, scattered. So here's the beauty. 
We gather as a church and then we scatter into our city taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. Empowering, empowered, chosen, knowing that what we preach changes, radically changes lives. So over the next, I don't know how many weeks, we're going to focus on Galatians. I'm going to start a week on Sunday. Galatians is all about the gospel. It's the essence of the gospel. I'm going to dig in it. We're going to chew on it. And uh, probably going to start having a a kind of a midweek discussion group about how to take this gospel out into our community and and uh, but my prayer this morning is that as we worship as we bow maybe we can just close our eyes right now just silence before him before we start to worship Father, I pray that right now, somehow, you would cause us to feel the weight of the burden that you carry for our city. Let us just get a feeling, Lord. And we wouldn't be thinking, Lord, about time or where we need to be or what's happening this afternoon or whether we've got the right pencil cases or all that stuff Lord that just tends to come into our minds at moments like this God I pray that our heart would be your heart for the broken, the abused the hellbound, the, the people in our see even within a half kilometer radius around this church who are desperate to hear the good news. They don't know it. God, make us a people. Make us an army, Lord, who see our mission clearly. Father, I pray we would stop the excuses as to why we don't. Why we don't have community, why we don't pray, why we don't read our Bibles, why don't we don't come to church, why we let's Father, I pray that you would show us what it is that we need to confess and ask for goodness for. And Lord, I pray as a result of that, just like your script Lord, your scripture says that if your people who were called by your name, that's us, Lord, would humble themselves and pray and ask for forgiveness that you will heal our land. And it says, turn from our wicked ways. Lord, I pray that that would be our call. That, Lord, you would heal our land. Father, I pray that you would help us. That, Lord, you would fill us. You would give us boldness. That, Lord, that we would have the belief that nothing is as important as this. Nothing is as important as seeing people come to know you, Jesus. Lord, let that be our cry. Let that be our focus, Lord. Nothing else other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, that when we have placed so much before that. Father, I pray for those in the room 
who are not yours. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would draw them to yourself right now. They would cry out for forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for the promise that's in the cross, the promise of forgiveness and acceptance and life change and new identity and new purpose. That Lord, I thank you and praise you for those promises. And then Lord, I pray that you would fill them and empower them, that they would be filled by you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray against cynicism, criticism, apathy, gossip. Lord, I pray that they will not be words in our church, in your church. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that we have been given to this church. The church has not been given to us. So Lord, as for me and my house, here I am. Use me. Use me, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. where you're sat right now let's just start praying actually fill your mouth and start praying dear God forgive us Lord forgive us Lord heal our land Lord heal our land Lord Holy Spirit God Holy Spirit, come. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Revive your church, Lord. Revive your church, Lord. Revive your people, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, are just struggling with continual, the same sin in their life. Lord, I pray you would break through that now in the name of Jesus. The Lord, that the cry of their heart is to restore to them the joy of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would answer that prayer. mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Thank you.
We're going to have a song of response, which is 